I don't know why or how we thought we could do it because we didn't have much money at all. We had a small amount of savings. And I think we, to start with, we thought we'd probably just plant a really small area of vines, carry on working alongside that and then build the business up slowly. But what in fact happened was very different. And we thought if we're ever gonna have a vineyard, this is the moment, this is the opportunity uh, to do it. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Before we get into this week's episode of the Ideas Lab podcast, I just want to say thank you to the people who have left reviews on iTunes and elsewhere. And to celebrate that, I thought I'd pick somebody's review at random today and read it out. And if you go and leave your review for the Ideas Lab podcast as a chance, you'll be featured in a future episode. So Sally Buncombe left a lovely review saying, I made a rule to only listen to fun podcasts while running and save business ones for other times, but made an exception for this one as I've met John and knew he was interesting. I'm glad I did. The run ended too quickly. Really entertaining and great guests, interesting perspectives, and John gets to the heart of the matter quickly and articulately. So thank you very much, Sally, for doing that. It would be great if you consider leaving a review of your own. Go find it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the button to leave a review and just say a few words. This week's guest is Hannah Witchell. She is co-founder with her husband, Ben Witchell, of Flint Vineyard, the English winemaker based in Norfolk. Hannah and Ben turned a mutual passion for wine into something that is now an award-winning wine label. I wanted to find out from Hannah how they managed to turn this dream into a reality, which was no easy thing to do. The marketing strategies they've used to get their wine noticed and what it's like working day in and day out with your own husband. I've met lots of couples who've considered going into business together, but they fear but it can have a detrimental effect on their relationship. So we get into that with Hannah as well. I think you're going to find this really interesting. Well, hi, Hannah. Thanks very much for making time to talk to us about your journey with Flint Vineyards. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. No, thank you for asking me. No, it's great to be here. Thank you. I'm fascinated by this journey because lots of people have crazy ideas like I'm going to start a vineyard, I'm going to start, I don't know, a food brand, Um, I'm going to jack it all in and do something completely different. And most of us either don't do it because we're too scared or we do it and it goes horribly wrong because we haven't really thought it through. But you have got to the point where, you know, your wines are award-winning and, um, you know, you're making this thing work. So I'd love to know, if we rewind to the beginning of your journey, how did you start? And how, where did this idea of like, oh, we'll start a vineyard come from? Um, it was quite uh, a long time in the making. So although we did take an idea that was a bit of a pipe dream, make it happen, it didn't happen overnight. Um, so Ben and I, wine was just something that Ben and I were interested in as a, as a couple, Like, but there's plenty of couples that love drinking wine together and, and trying out um, new wines. But we um, 
took it to a bit of a new level when we we went traveling for a year we were living in london we decided to take a year year out from our jobs and we um we went traveling around the southern hemisphere and it wasn't the sole purpose of our trip but we did end up visiting all of the major winemaking regions um in the southern hemisphere so chile yeah chile uh, chile argentina um australia new zealand and south africa oh yeah that's a good that's a good wine tour yeah, yeah, it was. And we actually, while we were out there, we had a bit of extra time and we worked for a month at, at one of the big vineyards in Mendoza in Argentina. Um, I think it was at that point really that a seed was possibly sown that made us sort of think about it in a different way. Um, we learned a lot in that month and lived on the vineyards. So we saw sort of what vineyard life is like. Um, it was still a family-run vineyard, even though it was a huge uh, operation by that point. So there's a lot of lovely things to take from that. Um, and we had all these ideas in our head, and then we came back to England and reality set in. We just we went back to our old jobs, basically. <laughs> because um, we needed some money. Um, so I used to work in the travel industry. Um, I worked um, mainly on the sort of hotel side, um, contracting hotels for some of the big tour operators. And then um, Ben worked in IT as an IT consultant. So very different to what we're doing now. Um, but when we came back and we started these old jobs again, Ben started doing some evening courses in wine. Um, so he was... Um, mainly on the tasting side, but taking his knowledge to a new level, I guess. Um, and then it was during that time, very quickly, we got sick of our jobs again and Ben started dreaming again and decided he'd like to take the wine thing a bit further. And he spoke to a lot of people and thought about maybe going down the route of being an apprentice at, at a vineyard, starting at the very bottom and saying, we'll, we'll work for free. I think I was included in the bargain. We'll come and work for free if um, if you teach me how to make wine, basically. And we had a few job offers along those lines. All Everyone we spoke to in the English wine industry said, um, there's one place you should start with, and that's Plumpton College in Sussex, um, which is the only winemaking uh, university in England, not surprisingly. <laughs> so uh, he went to find out about a distance learning course they offered and then he came back that evening and said actually I want to enroll on the the three-year BSc uh, course <laughs> viticulture <laughs> and oenology so the growing of grapes and the science of wine um, and I was horrified and I thought I, I didn't really understand how we could do that he was the main he earned a lot more than me so he was the main breadwinner but I was also tempted in some, I knew that something exciting might come of it. Um, I quite liked the idea of a change at the time. So we, we yeah, we up to enough, we moved um, down to Sussex and he started the course and I luckily got a job in travel near Gatwick. So it all worked out perfectly. And um, yeah, and our lives changed, I suppose, because he, yeah, he did the three-year course, um, intensive studying, um, very, very scientific, actually much more scientific than anyone would probably think. Um, but then he got some amazing practical experience as well. So he worked every um, every summer. He did a two or three month placement abroad. Um, he was in California one year, Napa Valley. He went to Greece uh, one summer. And, and then when he graduated, his um, first real job was assistant winemaker at a chateau in um, Beaujolais in France. Um, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, I'd had in mind when he started going down this route that could lead to exciting trips like that. So, um, and I was actually pregnant with our first child then, so it fitted in with me. I took maternity leave and we went to Beaujolais. 
And that was really interesting because Ben. Which of course, you couldn't drink then, of course. For, 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 I had a few sips. <laughs> You're allowed to sip, yes, it's true. I was hoping that the rules would be a bit more relaxed in France, but no, yeah. no, exactly the same. Um, so we, yeah, it's very, very interesting for Ben in terms of winemaking in Beaujolais because his experience at Plumpton had um, taken him down quite a, a scientific winemaking route, which is great to get that grounding. Uh, very technical um, and then again his most recent placement had been in, in Napa Valley in California which was very sort of modern equipment high-tech winery and then he was straight into Beaujolais where it's very traditional you know sort of throw out the rule book this is how we do it this is how we've done it for years and he kept saying oh no but I've learned this and um, there was a yeah, it was just a real, not a clash of ideas but it was just a very very different experience for him but actually those two um, elements of his winemaking, jumping forward a lot in the story, is now is actually what um, is the reason behind our logo. So our logo is is the Venn diagram with the um, two circles interlocking, and the two circles represent the marriage of science and tradition in, in Ben's winemaking now. That's great. I really like that. I like the idea of a scientific grounding and then just this, you know, tradition passed down from person to person. It's a great combination. Yeah, so it's, it's um, his his sort of experience has served as well, um, and so so when we were we were out in France, wondering about our next move, and it was it was tempting to stay in France. There's lots of vineyards for sale in France, um, but I think um, it would have been really well. It's highly competitive because there's just vineyards everywhere. Um, we saw an opportunity to come back to England. We're drawn back here for two reasons, um, mainly because it's just such an exciting time in the English wine industry. So things had really improved probably over the last sort of 10 years, um, leading to that point. So we're now talking 2014, around this time. Um, the 10 years previously, previous to that, things had really improved. People were putting a lot more investment into their equipment um, in the vineyard and the winery. But more than anything, it was the knowledge that had improved. So Every year there was a, um, a whole host of young winemakers graduating from Plumpton College who had this experience that Ben was lucky enough to have, who travelled and not only studied their craft but also got experience abroad and brought ideas back. Um, so it was that combined with the financial investment that meant that English wine had just improved in quality hugely and then therefore there was an, a now a market because people actually liked it and were willing to spend the money on it. I think the problem maybe in the sort of 60s and 70s and, well, yeah, maybe into the 80s, people had planted vineyards in a sort of hobby, you know, with hobbyist sort of ideas and, and lacking knowledge and, and had made bad wine that had put people off English wine for, <laughs> for a long time. Uh, so it's a good time for us to come back. And, and we knew that, um, you know, not like Beaujolais, it's still a bit of a novelty here. We saw an opportunity, particularly in this region where we have moved to. So, we're in Norfolk um, and Ben had identified the east of England as a bit of a hotspot for wine making when he was studying. Um, it's Although today is a terrible example, <laughs> it's actually the driest and sunniest region in the UK, um, which is ideal for, for vines because in England we can have um, the problem of vines being a bit too vigorous because we are a bit wetter, but with it being so anything to help stem that vigour is good. One of the factors, you know, is, is uh, lower rainfall. So that's one of the reasons we were drawn here. Um, and we saw an opportunity to make 
Uh, we saw an opportunity to make still wines um, here, whereas down in Kent and Sussex, they focus on sparkling wines because of their soil, which is more chalky, which is sim- more similar to Champagne. Here in East Anglia, um, with the drier climate, uh, we're focusing more on aromatic still varieties. Um, so we began looking for a, for a site. I don't know why or how we thought we could do it because um, we didn't have much money at all. Um, we had a small amount of savings. Um, and I think we, to start with, we thought we'd probably just plant a really small area of vines, carry on working alongside that and then build, yeah, build the business up slowly. Um, but what in fact happened was very different. <laughs> so we, we came back, um, from France um, and one Christmas and we were speaking to people looking for asking anyone if they if they knew of any suitable land so our criteria was free draining soil and a south facing slope um, and a lot of people were saying well Norfolk is very flat and uh, full of clay but we we spoke to a farmer um, locally who had a plot that he thought might be suitable so we we met him and, and went to see the, the plot and we immediately saw the potential for it. So it um, has got a small slope. It's not the biggest slope, but it's a slope for Norfolk. So it's got a gentle south-facing slope. Um, and the soil was full of uh, sand, gravel and flint. So we're now called Flint Vineyard. Um, but full of flints and actually a very poor arable site, um, but perfect. The vines where you want poor soil, you basically want the vines to struggle and uh, the roots go down. Yeah, they don't, they're not good in fertile soil. They just become too vigorous. So you want them to struggle. Um, so it was a really good soil. Um, and we did some analysis. We were really happy with the site. But also during that meeting, it became apparent that the farm adjacent to the plot was pretty much sitting empty. And all these buildings here were available for use as well. So the whole thing, uh, we I think the reason we actually took this idea and made it happen, there was an element of luck because yeah. we met we were in the right place at the right time. This opportunity came along um, and we thought if we're ever going to have a vineyard, this is the moment, this is the opportunity uh, to do it because it not only turned out that, that the farmer who is called Adrian Hipwell, um, he had this land. Um, he was also very keen to invest in the business. So we actually ended up doing a deal and we're 50-50 partners, uh, put in 50% of the capital and provided the land and the buildings, which you know we could never have done it without that that's brilliant so if we fast forward to today where are you now in with with the wines how many wines are there and Um, you've won several awards haven't you yep so we're now up to we're just about to um release our fourth vintage um so for anyone who knows a bit about wine when you plant the vines, which we did, we planted the vines in 2016, it takes several years, two to three years before you can actually get a crop. But we um, began, we put our winery in in year one and we began working with um, two or three other local vineyards to source our fruit from them while we were waiting for our own vines to um, to produce fruits. So we began making wine in the first year, um, which was 2016, and then that was released the following year. So, yeah, we now make four wines. We have um, three still wines. We make two different whites. Um, one of them is a great variety called Bacchus, which is a real sort of speciality of the region. It's become the signature white wine for England, the signature uh, great variety for English white wines. Um, it just really suits our climate and does particularly well here in East Anglia. But it's quite similar to a Sauvignon Blanc. It's lovely, 
crisp, aromatic, refreshing wine. Um, it's been really popular. So we focus quite heavily on Bacchus and the vines we've planted. We've now got 26,000 vines and um, I'd say about half of them are Bacchus vines. So we focus on that. We make another white, which has been barrel aged. Um, and then we have uh, a red, a red Pinot Noir. And that was because of Ben's experience in Beaujolais. He really wanted to make a red, even though it can be more challenging in England. Um, and lastly, we have got a uh, sparkling, which is a sparkling rosé. Um, and yeah, it's just, there's definitely, you know, there's a real demand for English wines. Um, and I think we have been fortunate with the tying in with the um, real focus at the moment for people to buy local produce um, because all the best restaurants in Norfolk, which is where we focus initially, you know, they've got these amazing menus centred around Norfolk produce and then they, they're looking for Norfolk wines, but they have to be good. You know, people won't just buy local stuff because it's local. It has to, the quality has got to be there as well. So, so where are you selling mostly? Are you selling uh, into retailers or into restaurants or direct off the website? What, what gets the most sales? Um, in the first couple of years, it was definitely mostly direct from the yard um we sell a small amount on our website that's an area we could definitely grow um but we do tours and lunches at the vineyard and we've done that from the first year so we and um, we sold most of it here as we've increased our volume so we've doubled our volume every year and we're now up to thirty thousand bottles so it's not possible to keep that high percentage of direct sales with um such a large number of bottles now um so we probably sell more but we definitely sell more to the trade now probably about 70 percent to the trade um, and that's a combination of um, locally we we supply we distribute the wines ourselves in Suffolk and Norfolk to yeah mainly high end restaurants and some retailers and then we work with um, Berry Brothers and Rudd who are one of the oldest what fine wine merchants in the world and we're really lucky to be um, snapped up by them in our second year so they distribute our wines um, in London and nationally they they deal with the rest of the country for us. Yeah, I've got a deli me- near me. <clears throat> it's very nice somewhere. I live near Shoreditch, and um, oh. <laughs> and they, they major on. Uh, they like to promote English wines, and so oh. I I bought a an English sparkling wine from there a while back for a party. I can't remember what it was, and so um, it's. I think it's sort of it's quite fashionable at the moment. So it's good timing for you. It it does feel like good timing. I have to admit. I think we've had luck in a few areas as well as it being you know hard work and planning. I think there has. I've been in the right place at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got a club on the site because this is quite interesting. I'm always keen to talk to people about how the mechanics of, of finance and marketing and stuff works. So um, uh, people can learn from you. And what is the club? And because that contributes a fair bit to. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the idea of the club, we've called it the Venn Club, which is um, named after the Venn diagram, which is our logo. Um, but it's a yeah members club and um, it's an idea we came up with even before we'd made our first wine um, because I think we it's the sort of thing that Ben and I would have um, become members of ourselves if you know if we hadn't done this if we'd seen it somewhere else so the idea was to um, get some people on board really early on um, and we felt like it was a really it was really important that um, those members actually joined us you know to feel that they were with us right at the beginning of the story and um, you know there through the tough early days with us through to the first vintage so we released our first vintage in April 2017 but we started selling the club um, in December 16 um, and the idea of the club is um, 
it's £250 a year. And with for that £250, members um, receive 12 bottles of wine every year. And that's a mixed case. But what's special about it is that each year we make two or three limited release wines in really small batches that no one else can have. We can't even have them. There's none spare. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not even I'm not, I'm not making that up. Um, there's none spare, so it's really limited wines, um, and that's part of the selection. It means that Ben can try some really interesting ideas every year, or we might have just one um, or two amazing barrels that, you know, there's no point blending those in and, and losing them in, in a big wine in, in 15,000 litres of wine, but we keep those back and we make 300 bottles for members. Um, so we, it gives us a bit of freedom, but it's really interesting for them to have these unique wines. So they get 12 wines. Um, they can have um, a certain number of free tour places throughout the year to come and visit and bring friends or family with them. And then they get a 10% discount on any other wines they buy throughout the year. Um, and also our members have become a really important part of our team, actually, because they help with our harvesting and our bottling. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> so it now means that when they get the wine as well, when they wait for their case and they get it delivered every June, um, they feel like they've had a hand in making some of it as well, which is lovely. And they genuinely, you know, really are a part of what we do. So, um, and the, you know, we try and make it fun. If it's a picking day, you know, we have loads of tea and coffee and cake and lunch and, and, the, and then we do a harvest party every year. So once harvest is all in, we do a big party in the barn for all the members and have live music and a nice dinner. So we, we try and thank them that way. Um, but they have become, um, real ambassadors i suppose for us so in those early years those early days once they joined the club it felt like they would then go and tell their friends that they joined this club and about this new vineyard starting in in norfolk and it was a real mix of local um people who joined and then people much further afield that heard about us and just wanted to be part of a startup um and it's grown we've now got um over 200 members um and we're trying to grow that to about 300. So we still want it to be somewhat limited and, and exclusive. That is a genius idea. I love it. And it's a, <clears throat> I think people can learn a lot from that because if you get that, that those early supporters, like you say, they become ambassadors, they give you some source of income and, uh, you know, that you're going to get very intimate feedback from these people about what they like yeah. and don't like, which is not, not quite, you know, I think better quality than those in the general public because they won't just make some offhand comment and run away. You know, they're going to give you <laughs> meaning, you know, like people do on social media. I say, oh, yeah. it's rubbish. Um, and so that that's, that's genius. And the fact that the, I think also what people want to, what people love to be able to buy is a story. So people by saying, particularly if they've come along and they've been involved in a picking day or a harvest yeah. day or something, you go like, you know, I helped make this wine, but I'm yeah. you your own dinner party and you're about to pour it for your friends. You go like, oh, I helped to make this in some way, you know, and I'm a supporter of this. I've been involved with this startup from the beginning. And that's exciting. People will pay £250, frankly, just for that, for that story and that warm, fuzzy yeah. feeling. It's really important. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're really pleased and... Um, I think it was it was very important to help bring that early revenue in, but honestly, everything else that it's bought um, since and the sort of good feeling about what we're doing and, like you said, the constant feedback um, from people that have been there from the beginning, no, it, it, it does create a really nice feeling, hopefully, for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what else have you done in terms of marketing? Because marketing is your department, isn't it? And 
yeah. what, what have you done in terms of marketing to um, to try to get traction and get people to actually hear about the wine? What's worked well for you? Okay, I feel the, the thing. So I I didn't actually really have a massive marketing background. I'd done small amounts, but nothing like this. So I was sort of feeling my way as I went along. Um, what certainly helped in the early days when we were just trying to create a bit of a buzz about this new vineyard starting, um, I would find uh, an angle to write about and I'd just write a press release. And I did, um, you know, run it past a couple of friends who who worked in journalism to sort of get an, an idea. of. And also I, I've been sent press releases for various things. So I sort of, you know, saw how they did it. Um, so I'd send press releases to local press, um, you know, creating a story out. We got um, a couple of grants in the early days, um, when the first vines went in just key sort of moments in the story and I was I couldn't believe how much interest there was from the local press local radio came several times um local newspapers came and took pictures and and wrote about it and that really helped obviously that's locally not nationally but that really helped in the early days just to get our name about and then once you've got those you know those press articles on the wall it just gives you a bit more sort of gravitas when people are visiting and that kind of thing um, so definitely um, using the local press. I found I did try placing some adverts when we first started doing tours, um, but I found that print advertising didn't really or hasn't ever really worked for us. I'm not saying that's some sort of blanket rule. Mm. Maybe I was wrong, but um, we've just never had anything back from it. Um, what has really worked, and it won't be any surprise to anyone, is just is social media. Um, and I think I can't imagine starting a business without that. I mean, for all those people that used to have to do it yeah. <laughs> with social media. Um, which channels do you major on? Which ones have had the biggest impact for you, do you think? Um, so we started just on Facebook and we started that even when we were still living in France when the idea was just, we were just starting the idea and coming up with a name before we even moved back here and, and set up. So we just started really slowly building up a following. Um, then um, soon after that got an, into in, Instagram um, and and Twitter and now I I use all three. Um, I've tried LinkedIn, haven't found it as successful for our business, um, but I'm still quite new to LinkedIn. Um, but in, Instagram certainly we get the most traction with. Um, we get new followers all the time, so our followers um, are growing much quicker on Instagram than any other channel. It could be because there is the opportunity for a lot of good images, I suppose, with what we're doing and, and good videos. Um, which I find are much more effective on Instagram. Um, Twitter for us is much more about the trade. So a lot of the wine industry use Twitter um, and that's useful for keeping in the loop. Um, but in terms of talking to customers, I think that's less important, but it has maybe got some good contacts within the trade. Um, and Facebook's just very important locally. I think that's been the main thing. When we do events, um, we found that you know local people use facebook a lot so a combination really of all three um and now we've got quite a lot of um supporters through word of mouth because the number of tours we're doing has increased every year certainly um within norfolk and suffolk word of mouth has been really important um so yeah not the sort of none of the avenues that i initially thought really <laughs> and so you don't run any um adverts on social media or google at the moment no no, we don't. Uh, and I found when I have tried advertising on social media, um, again, I haven't had much traction with advertising. Um, I don't know whether it's because people um, are not so keen when they see something sponsored. Um, but no, we just have much more impact with organic um, 
organic posts and followers. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, and and on Instagram, you're Flint Vineyards, are you? Uh, just Flint Vineyard. Yeah. All channels are just been in the actually. It hadn't okay. been taken. You're very lucky. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. So if people want to check out what you're doing, they should go and have a look at that. What's it been like um, at working as a couple, as a husband and wife team? I know some people fear going into a business with their partner, um, you know, because now you're kind of spending every waking hour during the day and evening with each other. Have you had to negotiate that at all? Has it happened fairly naturally or what's it been like? I will be completely honest. It's been really, really hard. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it. That's it's been really hard. And um, I mean, it was it's the time that we um, have sort of taken on this project. There's been a lot of other things happening. Like we've now got two young children. So one of them was born the year we set up. The second one was born the year we set up the business. So as we set up the business, we had a newborn, a two-year-old, um, and we've moved back from France. And obviously, we're doing everything for the first time. And if I look back on the first couple of years, I will be honest, I don't have the fondest memories. <laughs> <laughs> Starting it all up because it was just, it was all, everything felt really hard. We were just laughing all the time. And of course we argued. And yeah, we hadn't, we had worked together before, but you know, this is a new thing. And there's so much money at stake this time and not even just our own money. So I think it's fair to say that we both struggled with the pressures individually and as a couple. And we actually um, saw a business coach, which um, helped quite a lot, actually, with how we work together, Um, because it was really affecting our relationship, and it still does sometimes, but he made us see that really it was coming down to the fact that we were just sort of different personality types and we and we worked differently and we just needed to understand each other a bit more. So uh, Ben's being what I would see as sort of snappy and short with me. And I take offence and take it personally. Actually, that's just how he works. And I've never been in a, in a director's meeting with him before. And I didn't know that's how he worked. <laughs> um, he's just much more direct and to the point. I'm much more emotional. Um, so that that business coaching did definitely help see us through quite a difficult patch. And um, we now try and have a weekly director's meeting where we sort of leave the the farm and the vineyard and go somewhere else to a neutral environment um, and we raise ourselves up out of all the sort of day-to-day stuff and have a meeting as directors and not husband and wife. <laughs> oh, that's a good tip. Have you investigated uh, personality profiling at all? Because that can be very helpful. Well, that's what that's, that's what a business coach did, which came to these, con- yeah, led to these conclusions. Um, what what was the, you can't remember this, it wasn't Myers-Briggs or... Um... It was a four-letter acronym. DISC, D-I-S-C. Yeah, it was DISC. And I think that's the power of um, personality profiling. Whichever type you use, I write about them in in one of my books, Um, it just enables you to understand that somebody can be completely different and not be wrong. And you can be completely different and not be wrong. And so, yeah, I can see how that's really helpful. So what are your plans for the future? Have you got... um, uh, anything you want, you know, that you can share that's coming up next yeah. for you? Um, so we're growing the tourism side of the business this summer, really. Um, we we found that we can't really keep up for, with demand for the tours and the lunches we offer because we've only previously been doing them on Saturdays and, and then one day during the week. So obviously we're running the business the rest of the time and we've only still got a really small team. We've got one full-time member of staff and 
three part-time. So we're limited and we have sort of held that element of the business at bay in a way. But last summer we were fully booked for the whole summer by July. Um, that's right up until September. And um, we just realized that we really need to capitalize on that. We've built up a lovely environment here where people can sit and have tours and lunches. Um, so we need to make the most of what we've created. So we've we've just expanded our, our dining area into the barn that was next door to the tasting room. Um, we're going to have more seating outside. Uh, means we'll be able to um, offer lunch to sort of double the number of people. And also we're going to do more tours during the week um, and have um, other people helping with those. So we've, we've sort of come to the point where it can't always be um, ben, ben and I doing everything, which obviously any other business, small business only will, will realise and will empathise with. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. So fantastic. And if people want to find out more, they can just go to flintvineyard.com or find you on Instagram and, and, and most of the other platforms, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, they can find out about the club and everything else. So thanks, Hannah. I really appreciate that. It's been fascinating. And I think it's, you know, whether anyone's thinking about um, wine or whether thinking about something else, there's loads to learn there about uh, starting up a business and making it work, particularly if you're working with your partner. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it wasn't too negative. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, but this is normal. It's good, isn't it? It's good to talk honestly about these things. It's it's a genuine concern, so it's no point uh, glossing over it. Loads of people worry about uh, what it would be like if I did this. Yeah, so, I'd much rather yeah. be honest. I think it's more helpful. And I just, if people say, you know, are you okay or are you stressed or how's it going, I, ch- I tend to be more honest now because I think it's more helpful for people. And um, if you're honest, then people are honest back and you can get uh, advice from all sorts of people if you're, if you're a bit more open. So, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast. Thank you.